Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Des Rock, CEO of Seamonster. That is spelled S-I-E, Monster. Just for those, uh, if you're about to Google it and... Des has been navigating the world of cybersecurity for the best part of 20 years. From her time working for the Australian government to ethical hacking with her husband and eventually founding Seamonster. They're a cybersecurity disruptor with roots in open source solutions, which have been designed to be accessible and sustainable security for anyone, not just enterprises with deep pockets. Her red team background gives her a unique perspective and it's that perspective we'll be diving into today. So, Des, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. Thank you for having me. So, as always, and to keep things consistent, I want to find out more about you. I want to find out more about your company and uh, the work you're up to. So, can you um, tell us a little bit about your career up until this point? Certainly. So, I've been in partner with my actual partner for many, many years in business together, before we did Seamonster, we were a custodian, which was a penetration testing firm where we uh, were hacking for companies, banks, organizations, government, you know, all sorts of large ones all around the world and uh, pivoted to, we were red team basically and pivoted to blue team um, around about 2016, yeah. Okay. And you mentioned Seamonster. Can you tell us as the CEO, what does your, your job entail? And can you tell us a bit about Seamonster? So we are a fully remote organization and have been from inception. I think people post-pandemic jumped on board with that. And I think they're trying to go back to the office, but we've always been fully remote, which allows us to hire the best of the best around the world. My job is to make sure that the product that is coded and, and produced is understood and sold out to the public, right? So a lot of the marketing, a lot of the messaging, and um, and obviously that's one part. And and leading the team, which is all remote, as I mentioned, is the other part, and uh, ensuring that we keep growing. That's the other part. So day to day, I travel. I, I am very nomadic. I travel a fair bit as long as I've got a laptop and the internet connection. And, you know, a lot of things are done over Zoom. A lot of things are done through Capture to, you know, to communicate and stuff like that. So that's what my day-to-day looks like, yeah. I know you've got a bit of a marketing background. Can you tell us how that has helped you in your role as CEO of a tech business? I suppose that's because when you look at my background and you think, well, she's not even, you know, she doesn't even code, which is not true. I used to do basic way back in the day when I, you know, before you could download games, you used to have to plug them in basic and, but let's not count that, right? (laughs) But my background is absolutely business and marketing. And so what I do is be able to translate and interpret what is the product and who needs it and why they need it. So marketing, if you have a great product, and there's been many, many examples throughout history of a great product that didn't 
find its niche properly because it wasn't marketed properly and wasn't you know explained properly. So that's where I suppose I add value to to what's going on here. And because everything we do is marketing, you wake up, you brush your hair, you put clothes on, you're marketing yourself to the world, right? So let's start from there. Every single thing you do in this world, we make, uh, we say don't judge a book by its cover, but that's exactly how we buy books, by looking at the cover. So everything we do is marketing. And so once you understand that world, you understand that that's quite important, more so in cybersecurity where most likely founders are developers and they are very very good at what they do but they don't necessarily understand marketing yeah i like the the quotes about the book because that's exactly what we do so running a cybersecurity business it is obviously a very competitive space there's a lot um, at risk uh, for for people it's why they're getting cybersecurity solutions how does sea monster stand out what's your usp so I touched on that before saying we were red team. So we're professional hackers and been there in that space for 20 odd years with some very, very impressive lineup. So we're talking about military, government, banks, financial organizations all around the world. When we were asked to make a solution by one of our customers, that's how we started, because the, the space in which we're in, the seam space we're in, required a, an affordable solution and uh, the alternative was Splunk and we all know what, you know, they handle big data, but they also give you a really big invoice at the end too. So it was that need in the market. And the thing, the, what separates us is that we came to the solution not just from an ingestion rate point of view or an endpoint point of view or all that. We came to the solution of saying, okay, so what solution, what software would encompass the entire organisation and keep it secure? So not just one part, but all of the parts. So if you're on-prem, if you're in cloud, if you're whatever the devices you have, we wanted to create something that would ingest all of those datas or all that data into the one seam, so a big circle around your entire organisation so you don't have to pick and choose what you want to monitor because we knew, again, being red team, if you leave things out, that's where your vulnerability points will be. And how has your experience shaped your strong convictions about cybersecurity accessibility? Well, I keep banging on about wanting to democratise cybersecurity and that means make it accessible to everybody because at the minute, uh, if you've got big data, uh, you are subjected to some, well, for starters, that needs to be demystifying. We need to demystify what this organisation and what this industry is all about, right? So we need to do more of that. We need to have our decision makers understand security more than just let's reach compliance, right? Because compliance is one thing, but absolute security to protect yourself from ransomware and all sorts of attacks is a different matter. So the conviction from where we come from is exactly our red team days, like exactly our hacker days. We knew in all good honesty, we couldn't put a product together and say, here you go, this will keep you safe, when we knew we could hack that. Like, we, you know what I mean, if we put weaknesses into it. So every aspect of our product, as we develop and continue to develop it, we continually look for weaknesses within the product. And that really is what separates us apart because most people are so focused in on the end user experience, which is fantastic, or that, you know, here's the things you want to monitor and here's the things you want to do and that's fantastic. But what they don't do and they don't explain is have they audited their whole entire network? Have they encaptured every single endpoint? And they, generally they won't because that's a lot of data. And if you're being charged by ingestion rates, you're not. So getting back to your question, we remove that. 
we literally removed that to say that is the barrier to entry right there. So that's we changed our pricing. It really annoys our competitors, of course, but that's what makes us different. Yeah, great. And I, I like the, the quotes in the introduction that you've said before about every house deserves a lock, not just mansions. I guess that's, that's, that's what we were just talking about. But what, what is wrong with the status quo and how does Sea Monster help address that? Or did you just cover some of that in that previous answer? So, look, the thing is, though, even really large organisations, let's just say every go to Google and say latest ransomware attack and then the news will show a list of people that have been who are brave enough to admit that they've had ransomware attacks, right? So a lot of people won't because they don't want their value of their company to drop. So there's a lot of people hiding it too. We all know, and I suppose this is a discussion that hasn't been had or said, all of these organisations do have a security posture. These organisations are using something, right? They're not not doing anything. So we never talk about what they are doing and why it failed. We never, because if we were to learn from it, that should be open, right? This should be a fairly easy flowing discussion. What happened? Where was the weaknesses? Who's monitoring it? Have we offshored this? Do we audit who offshores this? All of these really good questions, you know, who's auditing our system on a constant basis? So we're talking about mansions, right? Even mansions are getting broken into. I mean, no one is picking on the shack down the road if you've got a mansion there because we all think the shack, uh, the mansion's more valuable. And I'm telling you that even mansions are being broken into you don't have to believe me, go Google it, right? So the reason why, I'm propositioning that the reason why is because these organisations are not encompassing their entire environment because they've been told to pick and choose what they want to monitor. And again, I go back to the same point I made earlier. If you are picking and choosing what you want to monitor because you want to stay compliant or you just want this is our crucial information, this is the only thing we want to monitor, then you are and I know this, you are leaving doors open for attacks to come in. Yeah. And how did you find yourself in this, the space of, of ethical hacking? There's money to be made in that, um, that we needed to, you know, because our background was proper hacking, like way back when before we became an ethical hacker, there was some stories there as well from our founders that I won't talk about, I'll leave them to talk about. But ethical hacking was because there was a need for it. There's obviously compliance. And I suppose that stays on, you know, the point I was saying before. Compliance is the reason why security is where it is right now. Banks are complied to have audited, to be, you know, have pen testing done once or twice a year. That's compliance. That's not because they want to do it, but they're made to do it. And I suspect that we will increase our compliance regulations more and more Governments are certainly asking of that as well, and I suspect that that will catch up slowly. So we came into ethical hacking because there was a need. Okay. And you mentioned that there's some stories um, that you can't or won't mention, but what about stories that you can um, from, say, your red team days? Have you got any stories that have had a noticeable influence on where you are today? Oh, certainly. Uh, for starters, I'll make a broad statement that may sound unbelievable, but there was no organ. I mentioned to you governments, military organisations, banks, all. There was no organisation that we did not get into. So a lot of the clients who use some of the big four auditing teams way back when in the days, uh, when we used to win, want to win customers, we'd say, look, we know you get X, Y, Z to do your auditing. Uh, and, and I know you get a green tick all the time, but let us have a look. 
just let us have a look because we operate differently. We don't do a nine to five run scripts and, you know, five o'clock. We, we literally are a hacking team. So we will not stop. You know, the Tiger team worked in formation. We worked around the clock. We used social engineering. We used exactly and mimicked exactly what a hacker does. Why we weren't mimicking. We just knew what a hacker does, right? Because that's our background. So we would get in every single time, every single time. So that is a badge of honor that we wear. Yeah, wow. It makes you think <laughs> that this is a this is a real job for for hackers, and they are like little businesses now. Oh, they don't stop at five o'clock and say, "Oh, it's Friday. I'm, I'm knocking off now." They don't do that. They will wait for your weaknesses. If your weaknesses are no one's monitoring your system on a Sunday, they're going to get in. Then, do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I know that. So, the weakest part point of entry in any organization is the it, we look for the weakest link. That's exactly what we would do. So, if you have your top executives who are just use the same password because they don't understand password management, or they work remotely and they're connecting fire airports, lounges, or that, you, you know, just the normal behaviours that they do because you get this untouchable feeling, like not me, it's, got, it's not going to happen to me. And so we would prey on that. We know exactly that it's, it's about studying social behaviour, like human behaviour, and understanding that and then praying literally on that. We would study the person who was our mark. What are their habits? Where do they go? What happens? Uh, do, they, do they log on at a Starbucks when well, you're done for there? Like all of these things that would happen that you would see is like you'd be surprised how relaxed people can be because they think it's not going to happen to them. Yeah, exactly. And is that the, the weakest link every time? Is it a human? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, like the amount of times, just basic stuff, like please do not put your passwords on Post-it notes on your desk, you know. Or don't make it your partner, don't make it your birthday, don't make it, you know, all of these stuff. Like, forget that. We've kind of moved on from that. It's other stuff like are you using a VPN when you're not in the office? Do you have a secure network when you're working remote, right? Have you trained your staff on what suspicious emails look like? One of the examples I'll give you is a large hospital that clicked on, and it was their senior management, by the way, head of the hospital, clicked on an email that infiltrated his inbox and then sent out 40 other emails all the way around the hospital. And because it looks like it was coming from him, everybody else clicked on it too. Now that's a breach, right? And that's a potential ransomware waiting to happen. Normally what would happen is a hacker would jump in there, take his time, nest in, have a look at the whole entire situation before clamping down the data and then asking for ransomware. Well, our software actually caught that before that happened and then activated what needed to be activated in order to reset everyone's password, not once, not twice, to, in order to make sure it happens. And then once everything was done, explained to the people that this has happened and this is why. So there's an educational part there. So unless your organisation's doing that, then you, humans are the most fallible, right, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's very easy to get caught out, isn't it? Like you, you I go to the example of my helping my parents you know, who are a bit older, maybe not very good with technology. They click on links they're not meant to. They you pick up phone and they start giving people information they shouldn't. But then it nearly happened to me where I was, I think, one number or one letter away from giving a complete stranger a login to my bank when I suddenly went, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? This doesn't feel right. So it can catch you out, at, you know, depending on the day you're having, it is, it is tough. And they just don't stop, do they? They're just always always coming at you. Remember, the Great Wall of China was built to protect against the Mongol invading Mongol Empire. It was infiltrated not by climbing the wall. They couldn't do that. They did it by bribing the guard at the door. 
right? So there is always, I don't know if that story is true, but it sounds wonderful. So I'm going to again go with it. But the point is it's human that was the weakest link in that situation. So you could have put in, it's a great analogy because you could put in all of this infrastructure. If you've got one person who's going to be your weakest link, that, that's all you need. That's all I need to get in. Yeah. And it's not even, as you say, it's not even about the company infrastructure. It could just be them logging in from a Starbucks, which gives you the right access. How does a hacker work in that regard? Do they Are they at the Starbucks? Are they just accessing a Starbucks network? Oh, so there is, if you ever go to DEF CON in Las Vegas every year, there is the wall of shame, wall of sheep. I'm not sure what they call it. And it's basically people, and these are kitty scripters who are just running Wi-Fi, spoofed Wi-Fi. So you never connect to the Wi-Fi in the hotel at DEF CON. Well, you shouldn't do that anyway. But they literally have a wall. They're listing all the people whose information they've caught while you're at the event. Every year you'd think they'd learn and every year it's there. So, yeah, no, th- those things are those are proximity-based, so you need to kind of be in the proximity in that area, but that's not the only tool in which you don't just think, don't think you're safe because, like, well, no one around here is going to do it. That's There are certain other ways in which we can. Look, I remember one of our clients, if you want stories, one of our clients was asking for, they were a video production company, and they were asking for demos from, uh, people, you know, prospective actors, right? And so they're saying, put your stuff on CD and send it to us. And we that that was brilliant because guess what? We put on a CD and sent in, right? And then, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, they, that, you see, because we studied that's that's a great example of studying your client, their behaviour, and completely unsuspecting they installed the software required for us to break in without them knowing. Yeah, and that you just gave it to them and they just did it for you. Correct. Incredible. <laughs> so let's talk about the focus as a cybersecurity leader. Some of our listeners um, hopefully will be gathering some form of insights or, or wisdom from some of these discussions. So if you could focus your energy on one cybersecurity topic or niche, what would you look at? What would you focus on? Possibly compliance. I think the industry needs to be a lot more regulated. I think we need to have a lot more education around cybersecurity. There are, we do have a need and we need people to break into cybersecurity and start that, but it does take more than two certificates you found online to be called yourself a cybersecurity professional. So that's what I mean about regulation. And of course, that's on one side and the other side would be compliance. So much like the banking industry, the finance industry, the medical industry, we definitely need to regulate who is a professional, what they're offering, do they meet those regulations or, you know, those standards. So when you're employing, and I suppose that's one of the hardest things, if you're employing a cybersecurity, you're relying on them to tell you what they know because you don't know. You have not, how, how do you fact check that, right? So that's the one area in which I think that that should definitely happen in our industry. Yeah. And I, I normally ask the question of what do you think is not getting enough attention? Would it also be compliance uh, in that? It would be the accountability of companies that have been hacked. This is the story that no one talks about. We all talk about how do we improve stuff. We never talk about the disjointness between uh, executives and our tech teams and the difficulties of communication around that. So many times that we've been asked to, this is way back when we were hackers, we've been asked to provide a report to a Gmail 
or in a cafe or anything like that. So there's zero accountability. So that still continues on where the board, the, the exec- executives do not want to hear the truth. So unless we, because, and, and if they do, I've heard of situations where they, they, they then will fire the CTO, right, or the CISO. So then what does that mean? That person's never safe enough to tell you where they're li- where your liabilities lie, right? That doesn't mean they're doing their job wrong. It just means that you're not, you don't want to hear it. That's another really big issue within our industry as well is that there's a disconnect there. So that's something that we need to look at, including, and let's start with, all of the news articles where companies have been breached, let's audit them. What were they using? I think we could all benefit from that. If we could have open papers to say, this is what we were using, this is what we did, and this is how we failed. Does that not, much like in the medical team, when we say we've had this, you know, this is what's worked and we share for the greater knowledge of all, right? That could also improve, but people won't do that because profits and, you know, nobody wants to show vulnerability. And in order to not show vulnerability, we're actually becoming more vulnerable. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Maybe they should do it to people who, qualify as cybersecurity experts and they only they get the information or anonymously submit their you know because then we could all learn right yeah yeah we we do a lot of events ourselves a lot of networking events and we always struggle to find people in the cyberspace that can come and talk about their experiences or challenges or or maybe failures because as what you say no one wants to do that so it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so how do you see the landscape changing over the next two, three, five? Is it, it's too far, five years, but, you know, over the next few years, how do you see it changing? So we will have definitely bigger players with bigger marketing budgets for sure. And hopefully we have more, in my perfect world, we'll have more regulation and more uh, more knowledge around, you know, what is required. So when we're making decisions, we know the best product out there rather than what everyone else is using because that is our standard right now. We go on what everyone else is using and not what is the best. There is a lot more players out in the market, which is great. We're giving everyone a run for their money, which is brilliant. So this, the security sector, will, I think, will be a lot more automated. I think we will see that you'll be able to do more protection with less less manpower so less people on your team so it'd be a lot more automated i was going to ask you a little bit about automation in cybersecurity. actually um what role would automation play in delivering applications or providing accessibility the automation i can speak of is what would happen when a incident becomes an event or sorry, an event becomes an incident, my bad. So, um, and then what you would want done around that. So the, you know, the AI learning would actually learn your system, presumably, and with, through the rules that you've set and the boundaries that you've put, because you don't want false positives as well, to then understand what you're looking for and what it wants to be alerted. That's number one. The automation would come into not only does it know what you're looking for, but then it'll take action. So it will close that much, much like I spoke about the hospital situation. It'll close down that account. It'll block access to that. It'll ask them to restart their password or reissue that. It will then block that IP and X, Y, Z, right? It'll go through that and it'll do that automatically as well as providing a report. That's the level of automation, which will make it easier for the IT professionals out there to keep their network safe. Okay. And if you, if you were presenting to say a board or a group of CISOs, what advice would, would you want to give them? 
That's a very good question. Uh, make it a safe space to speak about your vulnerabilities because generally heads roll when someone says this is not secure. They literally get rid of that. I've had so many examples where a CISO has lost their job because of a, a result from a penetration testing or a ransomware. Or, do you know what I mean? Their heads roll rather than saying what happened here. There's no chain of visibility, right? So my my advice would be, especially to boards, and CISOs, like, if they have technical backgrounds, they should know this. If they aren't technical, then to absolutely still stay. You cannot be in this role without knowing the latest and greatest. And if you, you're relying on your staff, then you need to listen to your staff to go do that research and tell you that as well. So it is about opening up the communication, not being afraid of knowing where your weaknesses are. I can't say that enough. Rather than posturing that you're strong, you know, nothing's gotten in because no one's gotten in yet. No one's broken into me, into us yet. So why would we do anything? That's exactly the take that everyone who's been hacked has, by the way. That's when they start paying attention to, oh, maybe we should do something about cyber because now it's too late. Yeah, it sometimes feels reactive. But it's hard to convince board members, by the way, if you're a CISO and that's your job to say, listen, we've got vulnerable, I need more money to protect this. It's super, The hard part is for them to convince the board to say, yes, this is this is something we need to do because the board says, well, we, this hasn't been a problem for 10 years. Why on earth do I want to care now? Why do I want to throw money on this now? What they don't account for is the lack of revenue or the loss of revenue because it all comes down to money. The only reason we're doing this is because it'll impact your bottom dollar, right? So that, you know, what it would take, it's kind of like what it would cost you if the worst happened, if you lost all your data, if all of that stuff happened, that needs to be equated and it's making the board listen to that. Yeah. It's a, and again, another good point. And how do you, and you probably have to go to all of the departments and, and say how much money would it cost if this happened? And then you're able to quantify it and go, well, this is what's going to happen. This is how much money you are going to lose <laughs> if this happens. That should get their attention. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about you, if that's okay. Um, obviously, we've spoken a little bit about your company, cybersecurity, but let's um, talk a bit about you. That's cool. I don't know if my team prepared you for this, but this is more of a like a the personal piece uh, where we just find out human to human about you. So do you have a memory or is there a piece of advice you can remember that's helped shape your, your career or your life that, that's sort of stuck in your head before? Yes, never be afraid of not wanting to, uh, not not knowing, be afraid of not wanting to learn. And that was my mother. That's it. So if I don't know something, that's okay. The shame or the embarrassment should be not wanting to know about it. So, you know, don't stay ignorant was her message. That applies through everything, <laughs> absolutely every facet of life there. There is a few pearls that I've learned along the way that um, help me understand humans as well as behaviour, such as? We only judge people in areas we ourselves feel shame. That's a nugget right there. If you want to understand people are right, you know, who's sitting across from you and they're judging people, you all of a sudden know. It, it goes, by the way, it speaks to social engineering. Like immediately my brain goes, right, now I know where your weaknesses are, right, because you're sitting here judging somebody and it could be anything, but we only do that. Just think about that. We only do that in areas we ourselves feel shame or feel weak in. Interesting. Okay. And I have a few others like that, but that's varied, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And is there a time in your life where you have, I get, we don't have to get it too much into it, but, you know, as a, as a business leader and a CEO, there must be times where you failed, uh, you yes. know, and failed badly or failed hard. 
are there any that that are notable in terms of you know oh I really messed that up but this is how this is what I did to come back stronger oh most definitely um and it's to do with not acting quick enough not relying on my instincts you know or the knowledge I had because I was waiting for more information or I was waiting to you know there's been opportunities or situations like that so uh and then when I look at it and I thought I knew this I knew this from the first day, but I yeah. doubted myself. I doubted myself because I wanted to either give the benefit of the doubt or I didn't want to hear what I wanted to hear. And that is, again, flaws on, you know, like, so the message was there. I didn't, I chose not to see it. And then I will, that's, that is something that I've had to look at and say, and say when I, if it walks like a duck and talks like a, it's a duck, right? So, you know, if someone shows you who they are, believe them, right? So I'm getting better at that. I'm much better at that. I will, now strike a lot earlier to say, you know what, I've been through this before. I know what this feels like. We're going to do this. Uh, that's not always the case. Now, of course, my God, I think we learn best from our failures anyway. So, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of those, but they all have the same theme. I did not act quick enough. I did not react enough because I was waiting for information and all that happened was, you know, the red flags just get getting bigger and bigger and bigger and doubling down and I should have acted when I first saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go with your guts instinct or just listen to yourself. I think we've all been there. So what is your technology guilty pleasure? Oh, uh, I'm a gamer. I absolutely love to get yeah, on my off times. Absolutely. I think that's how I always have been. So whether it's a PS5 or on the computer or uh, on my phone or because I travel a fair bit, I game. Um, that's my guilty pleasure. I'm also an early adopter. So if there's any automation out there, if there's any something, any new technology out there, I will annoy the hell out of my family by bringing it into the home, trying it out. I don't think <laughs> my family is still trying to work out how to switch light bulbs on, right? Because I've got it on the timer. So um, yeah, no, huge technological early adopter and um, love all of that. So that is my guilty pleasure right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. How would your friends describe what you do versus how would your family describe what you do versus your colleagues? Oh, um, my friends, they will still say, I don't know what you do, Des. That's actually really helped with in, in my marketing message because if I can get someone who doesn't understand security to understand what I do, that really helps. So I then break it down. Like it's a circle around your whole entire organisation. You know, think of it like locks on the door for a, you know, for a, for a house and, that helps. My family, my family are very grateful that I have a very accommodating boss who lets me travel and work from home. So they haven't quite accepted that it's my company <laughs> and I am the boss. So, uh, you know, and I spent many a times trying to rectify and now I don't. That's, that's the elder family. The younger ones are hopefully very proud of what I do. I, um, I live to make them proud. And my colleagues, well, I can't, you're going to have to ask my colleagues about that one, but as well as my staff, like I do not want to speak on behalf of them. You can definitely ask them what type of a leader or what type of person I am. Yeah. And then do you have like an essential desk item? Yes. A second monitor. So absolutely. I travel everywhere with an iPad as well. Um, so the iPad acts as a second computer if I need it to be, if my computer has, uh, I'm in the middle of, and that's happened to me, I'm not anywhere within striking distance of replacing a computer so it acts as a second computer but most of the time it acts as a second monitor that I plug into so I have a MacBook 
Pro and an iPad with me at all times. So the iPad is my, if that fell apart, I'd be buying a second one for sure because that acts as a redundancy as well as a second monitor, yeah. Cool. And then I guess as we get closer to the end of the episode, is there any good books that you've read lately or are you watching anything interesting that that we would benefit from? I am a big Ted Lasso fan, okay. right into season three on that one there. Yeah, I'm really into fantasy, just the books as well. I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot, a varied amount of podcasts. And my podcasts, you would think, are all about cybersecurity and all that sort of stuff. They're genuinely more about human behavior, how the brain works, how we behave, um, because all of that teaches me how to interact, how to, what to look for. And so I'll listen to a podcast about memories. For example, I'd listen to a podcast about history and all that sort of stuff because we've got so much to learn about that. Again, very varied, but podcasts are almost a daily activity for me, yeah, for information gathering. Yeah. I have one for you. I just listened to it and I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much, but The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Oh, yes, I've heard it. I've listened to the entire thing. And if you don't want to go through the whole thing, just the last episode is the key factor. Am I right? Just the last one because that's where all the nuggets are. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Well, Des, before we wrap up, I mean, is there is anything else that we should have covered that you wanted to talk about? Not at all. If you wanted to find more about us and what we do, we're on on the internet, cmonster.com, and, of course, on LinkedIn as well. You can find me under Des Rock with a Z, D-E-Z. And that is C-Monster spelled S-I-E, monster. Correct. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Des. It's been great getting to know you and and chatting about cybersecurity, ethical hacking. And yeah, we, I think we uncovered some really good bits. I learned a thing or two, so I'm very grateful for spending this time with you. So thank you. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you for having me. And if you like the episode, please do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We should be on 90%, 95% of all podcast platforms. Just type in CEO.digital. Thank you.